Today's episode is sponsored by HireSuite. HireSuite CRM helps talent acquisition teams hire more people by automating your outreach and nurturing your talent pipelines, allowing your talent teams to be a lot more productive. If you haven't tried HireSuite, head to HireSuite.com and try it out for free. Welcome to Crafty Sourcer. If you're looking for a raw, unfiltered podcast on all things sourcing in APAC, you've come to the right place. Grab a coffee or wine and join your host and other guests as we dive deep into the complex and ever-evolving world of sourcing, keeping you informed on insights, tools, and even at times, a healthy sourcing debate or two. Now, here's your host, Denise Pereira from Kaleidosource. Settle in and let's get crafty. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Crafty Saucer. This week, we are catching up with Mel Kramer, who is one of the TA leads at IBM. Mel spent her TA career between New Zealand and Australia and has been part of some well-known local and international names like HP, Lenovo, Civica, and now IBM. Mel, thank you so much for joining us, and it is so good to have you on the show. Thank you. It's really lovely to be here and to see you on camera. Mel, we always start our show with a very quick intro. Tell us who is Mel? How did you get into sourcing? And at what point did you realize this is it for you? Wow, quick intro. I don't know, like I'm in my 50s now. It might not be that quick. Um, <laughs> I Look, I started my career in IT, hands-on with the tools, promoted to leadership. And really, I know this sounds kind of like wrong, but I got... <laughs> I got pissed off earning the same salary, working really hard in the IT leadership role. And people were like, why don't you give IT recruitment a go? Because, you know, you, you can earn a lot of money. And I earned a lot of money back in the day. It was pre the GFC back then. So money was good. It was, you know, around the year early 2000s and whatnot. At that stage, I actually had sources working with me. I was more on the client side doing all of the stakeholder relationship agency recruitment I started out in. And then I moved actually to one of our clients internally. They headhunted me and said, we like what you do. Please come do it for us, which was my first foray into internal and actually that's when I went now I get it because everything about agency I love the money I earned what I didn't love was the constant hustle of having to go and win new clients but also not really be in an op in a position to be a trusted respected advisor to them really you're fulfilling a tactical job brief kind of thing I wanted to be further up the value chain for them. And that's where I felt that going into internal recruitment, was that was my sweet spot. I could go and really advise the leaders. I'm well known for pushing the boundaries and asking really difficult questions. I'm not shy about anything. And I will challenge people very respectfully and professionally. But if I see somebody with a closed mindset about the shopping list, these things long and they have to have gone to this school and done this and this and this. I will challenge that all day, every day. And I didn't, I, I didn't feel able to do that in agency. So from there, I basically ping-ponged between clients, internal and external stuff. 
But then GFC hit and I th- there was no TA work, none. I was really fortunate, though, that one of my old clients took me back into their organisation, but not in a TA function, back into an IT role and a sales role, which is where I stayed until we moved to New Zealand over from Australia 10 years ago. Worked for Lenovo for a bit because it was similar-ish to what I had been doing in New Zealand for an IT company. Then took a little bit of agency sourcing work because I was really missing the connection. Connection's really important to me. It, it, it's super important. It's what I look for every day. It's my own company that I have operated for the time that we've been here because I've done freelancing and, you know, augmenting both agency teams and internal TA teams it was called Connected People Solutions. And that is because it's so much about connection for me. And then obviously we had uh, COVID. I was doing another sales leadership role pre, pre-COVID, wasn't living congruent to my you know, who I really am as a person, was earning very good money. The only part about that role I really liked was the connection with people. So COVID hit and I really took the time to think about, well, what now? What next? This is an opportunity. What a wake-up call, right? The whole world was freaking out. We were too scared to say hello to strangers in the street. And I kind of went, you know, if not now, then when? And I'll try, try to get back into doing some level of recruitment, not agency though. Like I, d- I don't know that you can pay me enough money to do agency recruitment, no disrespect, but I just think where my magic is and where I can be the most impactful for the next generation is by being inside an organisation and really challenging them on their, yeah, sure, have all your values have have as many bloody values as you want. If I'm not seeing those values lived and breathed in the corridors every day at work about culture, respect, diversity, inclusion, and really importantly for me, belonging, I will challenge people. And I kind of figure I'm at that point in my career, as I said, I'm in my 50s. I've kind of got no shits to give, right? So I will, I will have the voice when other people are too afraid to have one. I will advocate for people where they don't feel they have an opportunity to stick up for themselves. And in my role currently at IBM, I see myself as an advocate for anyone that I am bringing into IBM. It's my job to set them up for success and to have all cards on the table, the good, the bad, the ugly what they're going to love, what they're going to not love, because I don't want to be replacing that position again in three months, right? Told you it wouldn't be a short answer. I am absolutely not complaining. I love how you sort of broke that down and the fact that, you know, connection is so important. And when we look at it from from a recruitment lens, sourcing lens, no matter what lens, the crux of what we do is all around connection. And it has to start with that. And I think for us as well is that, we are all, you know, we're not new to this industry. And when we've been doing recruiting, we've actually been doing a lot of sourcing. We've just not called it that. So back to your agency days. Yeah. I love asking this question and I ask it from every guest because while there are a lot of similar patterns to this answer, it's just good to know what every each each guest has thought around. What is sourcing to you and the value that you see that it can bring to any organization? Yeah, so so sourcing to me 
is it sounds so simple, right? It's one small word. It's actually a lot of things. And I think it's so, so, so desperately important and is actually an opportunity for people to really make impact, positive impact on their community, on the candidate cohort, on the organizations that they work for. For me, sourcing is, so I'm a proactive sourcer. I do 360, so, and nothing's advertised. So it's all proactive outreach, senior level stuff. For me, it's about building connections that are born from pure intention of like curiosity and could we make something work? Is this an opportunity where my organization could really learn from this person? And does this person then have an opportunity to grow within my organization? And it's not about, maybe it's easier for me to tell you what I think sourcing's not. Sourcing's not junior. It's not easy. There's not, there's not an exact science to it. It's lots of things combined together, which is why I think you often get such different opinions because I know I look at sourcing through my lived experiences and it, that makes me a really big empath. I'm incredibly empathetic. I love learning. I'm quite nosy and stalkery, which is why it also suits me. Love a good stalk. I want to know what makes people tick. I really want to get inside. So when I'm thinking about doing job briefings with hiring executives, I really want to step inside the persona of the like the great person that we're looking for. And that, you know, I kind of do want to do the method acting thing. I really want to get inside there. And for me, that's fascinating because I'm constantly learning about, I don't call them soft skills because I think they're very difficult. The human skills, the art of being a wonderful human, it's sometimes really taxing and challenging in the world that we live in for a myriad of reasons. I just think for me, it's about being curious, being really open-minded, being really, really transparent, clear about what it is and what it isn't. I live my life by give to get. I'm an open book. I always offer up a part of my own personal history or experience to allow other people to feel brave enough to share with me and know that they can tell me anything and I'm not going to judge them or, you know, use something against them. So you do sometimes end up becoming a bit of a, um, you know, a sounding board for lots of different things that you think, oh, hell, how did this conversation get to somebody's marriage breakup? Where did this come from? But it all adds up to, is what I'm looking for for the organization, is it in that person? Is the timing right for them? They might be the right person at the wrong time. So I'm also very lucky in that my role is not viewed as a junior one at IBM. It's actually viewed as senior and strategic. And I have a place at the executive table. I can challenge. I do challenge. Um, for me, I said again about advocacy. It's about getting hiring managers, particularly maybe ones that have only worked in one type of role or type of organization, to have a little bit more of an open mind because naturally we want to be with people like ourselves. We all know that there's terrible mirror hiring that you can do, but then that's where you get the group think and the lack of kind of innovative thinking because you all think the same way. 
I can sit down with them and kind of break down their own biases by holding up a mirror to them in a very respectful way about why they want them to come from X university with, and I'm making stuff up, I'm not talking about an actual scenario, but, you know, X university or X degree or must have worked at one of these organizations. I want to dig inside as why is that? Because there's always adjacencies, right? So somebody says, oh, we, we want to take, um, they have to come from a tier one vendor. Yeah, but do you know there's only a couple of those in Australia and there's like hundreds of tier two and tier three business partners. Those people are, they're hard at grind, man. They work hard for their money. I'm sure we could find someone there. So I love that it's a mix of internally in the organization, being that advisor, being that challenger, being the subject matter expert about what's happening in the market and being respected. I do feel respected for my opinion. And also externally, being allowed to be set free to, you know, network with people. And because my role is strategic, it's not bums on seats, bums on seats. Uh, I can be talking to people for a year before we actually end up with a demand that suits them. Sounds like you're in a very good place in terms of your role and the influence and impact you can have. And just now what you were saying about, you know, being able to challenge them, being able to challenge assumptions on hiring managers part. And one thing we we typically see, and I, I was talking to someone about this earlier today, was hiring managers sometimes forget that they are also candidates at some stage. So when you put yourself in that place and when they have this long list of, I want them to come from here, they have this, that. Why do they not think of themselves as if they were a candidate? What would that checklist look like? Would they even want to apply if there was a checklist like that? So well, it just sometimes mind boggles me that hiring managers tend to not think of themselves as a candidate when they are possibly putting the feelers out there themselves at that stage while they're hiring for a role. That was just a thought. Mel, I would love, and I'm sure the listeners would love to hear about this. And I remember specifically when I was at ANZX and as part of the sourcing function, we always spoke about IBM's agile sourcing team. And I remember reading a document or an article about how IBM implemented agile sourcing years ago and how it changed not only the perception of what sourcing is as a function, but just how it, the ROI in general. So I'd love to hear from you at a high level how IBM implemented agile sourcing. How is that agile TA team actually run? And then obviously we can get into, you know, what's worked, what are the challenges of having a global agile sourcing team as well? Yeah, so look, I've only been at IBM for just over two years. So it was implemented a long, long time before I joined the organization. And really, it was about how do, how do we respond to requirements that are over and above what a normal TA function could do. And because we are a global technology company, if we win business with a client or we're looking at, IBM does a lot of research and development, right? So when we're looking at things and, and obviously generative AI is top of mind at the moment, we, our, one of our global sourcing hubs has just hired so many AI engineers in like a ridiculous short time frame. So that was the reason really for it was how do we apply agile methodology to a TA sourcing function to really streamline the process, empower the people that are in the teams to do their jobs 
at pace with high quality and have that learning lens over it. So look, I think one of the obviously ROI, because you can put your global sourcing teams in lower cost geos. So you're getting immediately there, you're getting some cost saving on your labor. But you also have other things like your speed to market and your opportunity to go out and hire people like at volume for large, large pieces of work. And sometimes these teams will be globally distributed teams. So having a in a global organization, having a global sourcing TA team shouldn't really be any different to what we do every single day. We have delivery hubs around the world as well. I think one of the challenges that I see personally is sometimes these global calls is really hard on me in Australia for time zone. (laughs) Not a fan of those (laughs) when we're trying to meet um, the USA and me at the other end of the world. Sometimes things like global nuances or cultural geo nuances are in play. So the way that we get around that is we make sure that we have a really diverse team. So we've got people from each part of the the organization there because many heads solve problems way faster with much more accuracy and high quality than one person with all their own experiences. I mean, I don't do, I haven't utilized personally for the level that I recruit at. It's not really appropriate for Agile TA, but certainly we're still using those methodologies in our day. We, when we're really busy, we have daily stand-ups. We still use Agile, not even when we're in Agile TA mode, just in our day-to-day when we are having a lot going on in the business to keep us all like moving and to remove roadblocks, we will do daily stand-up. I love that. And I remember a few years ago, I tried to, I worked in a small sort of consultancy agency. And I remember I used to have this Kanban board on this massive window. And it was just to show the business more for visibility as to what was going on with the roles, because I was sourcing, I was a resourcer for them. And they loved it because not everyone wants to go into a dashboard. Not everyone has the time to go into a dashboard. But as soon as they walked in, it was on this massive window. What were the recs, where they were, who the client was, what was the whole entire process like end to end? So I just replicated what was on my dash. I replicated that on the window and they loved it. So I was like, when, when you touched on AI engineering and you said, you know, you'll obviously hire people very, very quickly. What gen AI tools and tech uh, help or helping shape the future of sourcing and TA at IBM? So recently, the whole organization globally took part in Watson X Challenge. Watson X is, Watson's been around for years and years and years in IBM. It was the one that, you know, beat the world's champion and the chess champion, all that kind of stuff. Watson X is the next generation of, of that broken down into a number of functionalities. One of the real use cases for it is HR and TA function. We all got to play with the tools. It was amazing. I am still a tech head geek at heart. I actually got to go into the orchestrate tool. And for the techies listening, that is our orchestration layer. So uh, what's an orchestrate? Not very original on the name, given that it's an orchestration layer. What an orchestration layer does or what very simply what what's an orchestration and really acts as like the window to the user. So it will go and call your ATS. It will go and call your workforce management system, your HRIS. So you can, a hiring manager, essentially 
our future will look like a hiring manager will ask our HR bot, which we actually use Watson X internally today, right now, for a lot of our HR function. The You know, the really repeatable process-driven stuff where somebody wants to say, when's the next public holiday? And because Watson already knows where that person sits, you know, whether in New South Wales or all those other things based on their workday profile, Watson can say, Hey Mel, you've got you just had a holiday on Monday. Your next one, you gotta wait till Christmas, girl. And so <laughs> Oh lies, I get my birthday off. It's my birthday in a couple of weeks. It's those simple things that we're already using it for. We're training our Ask HR bot every single day. The more information we give it, the better. It's now just taking over some of our process excellence kind of Q&A stuff that we would normally have to log a ticket for. So as a user of the system, I now can just go into Ask HR, which is everywhere, and say, this rec seems to be stuck. I can't close it. Before I had to go into a separate tool, log a tier one ticket, these tier one people would come back to me, all that. So that's what we're doing today in the future. A hiring manager will be able to go and ask HR, you know, I need a new demand for headcount. And it will go away and talk to all of our workforce management tools, come back and say, this is your headcount today. You've got these people that are being underutilized in these programs of work. Are we? What are we doing about cross-skilling? So it's going to put a lot more lens, or I suppose, or education and information back at our hiring leaders so they can make quicker and better decisions for our current workforce, but also what do we really need coming in? Like, I think it's really exciting. I cannot wait. I'm not one of the ones that's scared of Gen AI stealing my job because there's no way that they will ever programmatically be able to replace human connection, the bond that we form with each other. That is, it's a deeply human connection and no one can ever replicate me because I'm quite mad. Oh my God, I absolutely love that. And the fact that what's impressive is typically you do not see DAHR being used as a use case to build something like this. It's always a different function. And to use DNHR, I'm actually really impressed. Do you think at some point you all will branch out where sources, recruiters, anybody just puts in a couple of bullion strings or a couple of keywords and y'all would have a massive database. So people sitting in there, people are just pulled up into, you know, when was the last time they interacted with someone or whatever that is. And you just get profiles without actually having to do a lot of work in the back end. Look, yes, I do. I also think there's the real risk around people being missed because they haven't had keywords in their resume, their LinkedIn profile, their online social presence, you know. So if you solely trusted a machine to pull resumes, to screen them, to rank them. Based on what? For me, I am really looking forward to removing some of the non-value add administrative sides of my role and perhaps helping me to learn more like, so I talked about adjacencies before where, where people have worked or where they've gone to uni, whatever. Also job titles, like There's no standardized job title, right? So if I'm out there in the market searching for what we call, say we call something a business development executive, that could be called 150 different things in 150 organizations. So I'm hopeful that 
I will be able to use what's in X to learn over time. Hey, Mel, you've put this in. You also need to include, like, you know how on LinkedIn Recruiter right now, when you do a job title search, it does have a form of that. But I think it's quite clunky and a bit hit and miss. I'm really excited that I'm hopeful that Watson will learn quite quickly. This role for us also means these from all of our competitors and our potential areas where we might find these people. So it will do a lot of market mapping, I think. That's the bit I think it will do really well and help me because at the minute it's all in my head and in my notes about this level at IBM means this somewhere else and this somewhere else and this somewhere else. I've had to build that in the two and a bit years I've been here. So that's where I think it will really help me to get to the magic bits that I need to do faster, not replace me. But I always think humans will always have a place in, you know, you it's that context. You read someone's LinkedIn profile or their resume and you kind of you've got questions. You're like, oh, I wonder if they've done this or I wonder if they've done that. Now, if it was purely screening from keywords and skill matches, you would never see that. You might miss out on something like someone that absolutely changes your whole organization. That's a really good point. And you're right, biasness can absolutely creep in when you're using automation or some LLMs in the back end. Last question from from my end, Mel. For those who really enjoy sourcing or who are sort of starting out their sourcing journey, what advice would you give to make sure that they are enjoying what they're doing and to sort of find it a less tedious? Use technology where you feel comfortable, where you've got access to, use it wisely. Always go into everything with an open mind and ask yourself, what can I learn today? Don't assume anything about anyone because, you know, there's that saying, assume makes an ass out of you and me. Um, <laughs> don't assume things on people's behalf because you don't know their life story. You don't know where they're at in their life. Connect with your community, your TA community. It's an incredibly generous, inclusive community to be part of. Attend as many networking type things as you can. Stay curious about the industry at large. Always be thinking about how to be more useful in the future. For future proofing as well, right? Like, yes, there is no doubt the future of TA is changing because technology is changing. It's not about if your role will change, it's about when and by how much. So what do you want to do with that time when your boring administrative tasks are taken care of? Start thinking about that now. Look at what learning you can do and be selfless. Like if you are in a role and you meet a wonderful candidate, you simply have nothing for them because they're not in the type of area you work or whatever, introduce them to other people. Put something out there in the universe because it will always come back. That person might have great referrals for you in the correct type of role. So yeah, be kind. That's really good advice, Mel. Look, once again, thank you so much. We've come to time. I really appreciate you making the time and coming on to this podcast. Thank you once again, Mel. Thank you so much. It was lovely for chatting. Thank you. And everyone stay crafty. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. And we'll be back next week with another exciting episode. 
If you found this valuable, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. That helps others find the show and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, happy sourcing and stay crafty. Until next time.